You are listening to Weight Loss Made Real, and I'm proud to say this is episode 78. I'm your host, master weight loss coach and author, Cookie Rosenblum. Today and every Tuesday, I'm here to coach you and teach you how to end that emotional eating, how to bust through those urges to binge, and how to leave all your overeating habits in the past. If you just found me, welcome. I'm glad you found me. And if you're a regular listener, welcome back. I appreciate every time you you come to one of our coaching sessions. Today I have a special guest for you, so get comfortable and get ready to listen and I will tell you who it is. Today I'm going to be talking to my friend Danny Spees, who is a health, wellness, and weight loss coach. She's also the founder of a very popular YouTube cooking show, which I love, Clean and Delicious, where she shares lots of fast and easy and healthy recipes, tips, and ideas to help you eat better and cook more so you can feel great. I love her website. I love her recipes. I love her ideas on so many different things. And that's why I invited her here so you can enjoy everything thing that she has to offer. So join me right now in this conversation. Welcome everybody. My guest for today is Danny Spees, somebody I've known for several years in the coaching world. And she has a wonderful website that I want to introduce you to today. Great resources and YouTube videos that we're going to tell you all about in the world of food and eating and recipes and making it easy to get what you need in the world of eating. So Danny, you tell me in your own words, how would you describe what you do? So we make healthy, delicious eating very simple and very doable. Really, my intention is just to help people eat better, cook more and have some fun in the kitchen so that they can feel good and reach their personal health, wellness or weight loss goals. I love it. And I think a lot of people are under the assumption, I've talked about this in other podcasts before, the big question I get a lot is, I don't particularly, I don't know what I'm doing in the kitchen. I'm not a great cook. Do I have to learn to do that in order to take care of myself and get down to a healthy weight? What is your take on that? Do you have to? No, I don't think that anybody has to do anything that doesn't work for them. Um, I think that there has to be a desire to want to, right? And I do think that once you can understand some of the basics in the kitchen and you can see that it really can be very doable and very easy when you learn just some base basics, right? So do I think you have to? No. Do I think it's immensely helpful? Yes. Yes. So you, what you do is you translate what we all want is somebody producing beautiful, delicious food for us. And we, you help them be the ones who can do it, right? Absolutely. Like, I think that's what I get very excited about is showing people how simple and easy it can be and how you can really make some of the easiest, most flavorful dishes out of the most, you know, everyday ingredients. Yeah, that's what I love about your recipes, which I look at often and I send clients to your site to look at these very simple, not a ton of ingredients and techniques that anybody could learn. Do you mind sharing how you got into this field? What drew you to the, to this food arena? Sure. 
Well, food has kind of been my gateway to everything in my life, right? Because I did have a, a struggle with weight and body image in my in my younger years. And so my relationship with food has been kind of my doorway to everything. And I've always loved cooking. And so I was doing personal training and I was doing health and nutrition and weight loss coaching. And I was finding that a lot of my clients, they wanted to eat better and they really were very willing to get in the kitchen and to make some food. Um, but there was a lack of knowledge or understanding of how to translate that. And the more I would work with them, the more I would realize it was really the simple basic stuff that they just had never learned. No one ever taught it to them. So things that I was taking for granted that somebody would know or understand really was not translating. And so instead of always telling different clients the same information, um, my husband and I started to put it in video format. So it was more like a resource center that the clients could access and use when they needed it. And then it kind of accidentally turned in because of the way the YouTube platform has expanded and become its own world. It kind of then transformed or is that the word I'm transitioned into a, a channel in and of itself. What I love about you, I like the word you just use. You have a resource for people because everything is there. You know, in these days, we could get on Google and look for any recipe or look for how to do something in the kitchen or ideas for meals, but that's a lot of different resources. And of course, you may not be the only one that, that people go to, but you're a nice major collection where there's so much there, it could easily keep somebody busy learning and feeding themselves for a pretty long time. I love that. Yes, thank you. And that's a big part of, you know, what our intention is, is to not only give people recipes, but to teach them, like we do 101 videos. So we're in introducing you to ingredients so that you understand, you know, how to store them, how to prepare them, how to work with them so that people are comfortable with them, or basic how-to videos, or some of the more popular videos are like grocery haul hauls or meal prep videos. And I think that's because um, it kind of contextualizes it for people. It really shows you how, well, how can I apply this to my day or how can I apply this to my week? And so people really love those as well. Mm -hmm. I also love that you do take into consideration that most of us don't have hours to spend in the kitchen. And I, I mean, I know this is your business, but what's your time like in terms of how food fits into your life for nourishment, for pleasure, and how much time you spend on meals for you and your family? Well, you know, it's really funny because I think, you know, when you do cooking for a living, people just automatically assume that you and your family are always eating like amazing <laughs> meals and food all the time. But it's not because at the end of the day, like you just said, this is my business. And so really just like anybody else, I'm a mom of two. I work um, full time from home and we've got the kids schedule and the full weeks and days like everybody else. And so, so much what I bring to the table I'm just pulling from my real life. So really, um, meal times are usually pretty quick in our home. You know, I have what I call like an arsenal of meals. And I always recommend that other people do this as well, where it's like you have two or three breakfast ideas that you know you enjoy, you know you can make in a pinch, and you know that are aligned with your personal health, wellness, or weight loss goals, right? So that you're not always thinking at mealtime. So I have those for breakfast for myself, my husband, and my kids. You know, I have the same kind of uh, arsenal for lunch. And then I even do that with a lot of dinners. And then what I try to do is just pick maybe two dinners a week where I make a real good home-cooked meal and we all sit down like family style. 
And sometimes that's just once a week, Sundays, but I aim for two. But most of the time it's meal prep. And then when it comes meal prep on the weekends, and then when it comes during the week, it's really more assembly. Right. So you're planning ahead. Mm -hmm. You're putting things together that you've prepped or semi-prepped that are simple. And then once or twice a week, you'll really cook a full meal versus- Exactly. Right. Versus put things together. So do you look at eating as something we do for nourishment or do you also, how do you look at the pleasure part of eating? I think they go hand in hand. I think that you cannot be nourished without pleasure. I think that if you're not receiving pleasure from the meal that you're eating, you're actually missing some of the nourishment from that meal, even if you're eating a kale salad. You know what I'm saying? So I think that it's important to find foods that not only fuel your body and align with your goals, but that you truly enjoy eating, right? That so you're yes, it it's healthy and yes, it's got great nutrients and all of that, but you actually enjoy the meal. So I really feel like they go hand in hand. I don't think that um, you know, forcing ourselves to eat chicken and broccoli because it's quote unquote healthy really helps anybody work towards health goals. Um, and I don't think that it ultimately nourishes the body. Right. So pleasure is a piece of it, but pleasure can be definitely connected with food that serves you. I a hundred percent. I think that that's kind of like the win-win, right? Is when you find foods that serve you and align with your goals that you truly enjoy. And so to me saying truly enjoy, that's pleasure. That's right. I, I'm total agreement with you. One of the things I hear a lot is that my clients label food as good or bad. You know, they mm -hmm. think there's a whole group of foods that are, quote, bad for them. And so when they eat them, they feel bad about themselves or they mm -hmm. sneak it or they don't eat it openly. And when they eat good foods, they think they're being good. So mm -hmm. what's your feeling about labeling food and how it affects what we eat? I think just kind of like what you alluded to here, it's a bit of a slippery slope because then we do start to create like a moral judgment around the food. And then when we eat that food, we somehow take on that characteristic, right? So if I'm calling the food good and then I eat the food and then I'm being good. And then if I'm eating something bad and I eat the food, then I'm eating bad. And for a lot of people eating quote unquote bad and then making yourself bad only triggers more quote unquote bad eating, right? So I think that it's more like the food on the plate is just neutral, right? Some food happens to have more nutrients, more vitamins, more minerals, you know, more energy, less energy, you know, the food is, but at the end of the day, it's all just food, right? And I think it's more important to be focusing on how we feel when we eat the food. Like some, so many different foods work for so many different people. And so when you eat something and you just notice, hey, does it work for me or doesn't work for me? It's not so much that the food is good or bad. I always tell my clients, it's, you know, the question isn't, is it good or bad? The question is, does it work for me? Exactly. I, I like to use the word, is it helpful or unhelpful in your own body? Mm -hmm. So you're talking about eating something and making a decision about eating it and then getting feedback from you, from yourself, of how it feels to you to be honest and make a judgment about whether it, it should have a large place in your life or maybe a smaller place, or maybe it doesn't make you feel good and you, volun you voluntarily might decide, this just, I want it, but it doesn't work for me. 
Right. It doesn't work. Exactly. And to me, it's, there doesn't have to be a label put on the food, right? Because a label, especially that then we take on to ourselves, it's just, Hey, it aligns or it doesn't align. It works or it doesn't work. It's helpful or it's not helpful, right? We, we kind of tend to make things really sticky and really messy, um, by throwing all these labels on it and then pulling all this extra emotional baggage onto the plate when it's really just a simple matter of, Hey, I want to feel good. Does it help? Does this help me get there? Exactly. Do I, am I laying on the couch, unbuttoning my pants afterwards? <laughs> or because Thanksgiving only comes once a year. And I think if you find yourself doing that on a regular basis, then either the what you're eating or the quantity of, of what you're eating is just not matching your body's needs. So it's, I think it's helpful to look at it in the way we just discussed is as feedback, very individualized versus good or bad. And, and I completely agree. And note, noting for yourself that that feedback comes from the body and not the mind, right? So the mind wants to say it's good or it's bad. The body's simply going to say it feels like it gave me energy or it didn't, or it feels like I got bloated or I didn't. It's more sensory feedback than it is a, a labeling thought that we're taking from our brain. So what do you do with all the information that's in the world today in every magazine and newspaper every day that... Mm -hmm talks about the health benefits or the negative, the negative results you'll get if you eat something, you know, we want to make the decision of what to eat from our body, definitely when to start eating and when to stop eating. How do you mix that though, with your mind making a good decision for you? Well, I think that is probably where most of the work needs to be done for most people, right? It's like standing as as the guard to your brain. And I, my answer to that question is stop reading it. Stop taking in all of this information. I've found something that really helped me on my journey. And, it, and to this day, I think it's like one of the most powerful tools um, in my own life is that I have created a world on social media where I only follow people who um, speak a message that help me find clarity, that make me feel inspired, empowered, uplifted, right? And so I've created almost like a bubble for myself, meaning what I read, what I see, the information that I take in aligns with what I'm trying to do for myself and my body. And anything that I think is confusing, restricting, overwhelming, um, some type of negative messaging or, and, and here's the thing, negative for me, you know, like for whatever reason, it triggers something in me. And then I just say, hey, I'm just not going to put my attention on that. And and I have found that that has made such a difference for me because I think it, there is such an overwhelming amount of information and not only information, but contradictory information out there. And it's almost like we have to stop taking so much in all the time, or maybe it's better said, we have to stop thinking that the answer is outside and we have to practice dropping in a little bit more, right? So it's like quieting the mind, listening to the body. So you're not pulled in a hundred different directions every time something comes on the news. Because if something were seriously, immediately dangerous to us, we would all know about it. A hundred and ten percent. Like you're not going to miss anything. I think that that's one of one of the biggest challenges um, when it comes to health. And I think this is what dieting is. If you talk about is that in, when it comes to a diet, I always say, you know, diets can be great because they can provide a great guideline. If you are using that guideline to connect back to yourself and then tweak where needed. But what happens so often is that we use them as an invitation to disconnect, right? And then we're trying to figure it out 
without putting ourselves as piece of the puzzle. So it's the same thing with like all the media and everything you're referring to. It's almost like it, take it in, but don't think it has the answers. And I think a lot of people are insecure. You know, they're insecure about their knowledge. They haven't resolved their eating issues. So they don't trust their own feedback. I wanted to say they don't trust their own gut, but it's your gut that gives you the feedback. And you're saying this is the pathway. The pathway is learning to trust your own self, listening to your body, using just simple common sense in deciding what works and what doesn't work for you. Right. Like we are all designed. We've come, we come with a system that's built in, right. That will tell us what's working and what's not working. It'll tell us when we're hungry and when we're full, we're just, that system works. It's working all the time. We're just not tuned into it. And I think that's more of the practice for many people is reconnecting to that intuition, to that gut instinct. You know, I have a soon to be eight year old daughter and that is my favorite thing to do with her is, you know, when she asks me questions or she's wondering, and I always say to her, you know, the answers, trust your instincts, listen to your gut, because I feel like it's, it's the most true thing that any of us can do is reconnect to the fact that on some level we know. That is brilliant to do with the child. And, you know, I wish I knew what I, I wish I knew then what I know now when mm-hmm. my kids were younger, but you know, we all do the best that we can when in the moment that we can. So do you ever, I know food can taste delicious and obviously it's pleasurable when we eat something that's delicious, but a lot of people, particularly the people I work with who have a lot of extra weight to lose, they use food as one of their main pleasures in life. And food Mm -hmm. does, you know, it lights up that reward part of our brain. It titillates our taste buds. It does taste delicious. We love it. But how do you separate true pleasure from the gratifying, delicious taste of the moment? I think that's just a real practice of awareness, right? So because Cookie and I have both studied a lot of the same tools, and I think that there just comes a place where what happens is when we're turning to food for pleasure, right? And then we pass the point that the food is actually providing the pleasure, and now really the food is just providing escape or numbing out, or um, something of that emotion, right? Dimming down some type of emotion that it's not really pleasurable anymore. Um, So I think that how do you determine the difference is that you choose to stay conscious while you're eating the meal all the way through. One of my favorite mentors used to always say, hey, look, if you're gonna pull out a sleeve of cookies and eat the whole sleeve, instead of telling yourself not to do that, get a plate, light a candle, put on some music, put the sleeve of cookies out and eat them, right? Because now you've introduced awareness and relaxation and pleasure and you tend to have more, uh, you're better able to notice when you're like, oh, this isn't giving me pleasure anymore, right? But you have to be able to approach that that table with um, kindness and ease and not being critical, but just curious. Like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna observe this pattern of mine. And if you decide to give yourself a delicious taste as pleasure, it still does not need to be connected with large quantities, right? Sometimes all you need is a delicious taste of something like a sweet at the end of a meal versus a giant nine inch piece of cake. 
like they serve in some restaurants. So it's the taste that's pleasurable. It shouldn't really be quantity. What do you think no, about that? I think it's true. And I think that if you kept awareness on the eating experience that you would notice after a few bites, it's it's not pleasurable anymore, not the type of pleasure that we're referring to, right? I think then it's just you're checked out at some point because if anybody was to take the most delectable piece of chocolate or, or cake or whatever your thing is and, and you stay present while you're eating it, you'll see it's really the best, most delicious bites are the first few bites. And then it starts to diminish a little, right? And then if you're talking about a huge hunk, it's like it's not even the food anymore. So you personally, Danny, do you ever use food as a treat for yourself? Yeah, I would say I, I, my biggest do I use it as a treat? Yes, definitely. Like if there's a birthday cake or something, you know, I have a piece, but that's less my thing. I would say the thing that I always am practicing is more, um, like I did it last night. It was like, I had all this laundry to put away and I so didn't want to do it. And so I had, I took a banana and I sliced it up and I put chocolate chips on it and I heat it in the microwave. <laughs> delicious. Takes two seconds. Um, but I had that because it was delicious and it was distracted me for all of, you know, 30 seconds until I then had to still go put the laundry away. But that's more my thing. I definitely still do the, uh, I'm a, I'm a, like, I have little yummy snacks when I'm trying to avoid things. And it's silly because I'm aware of it, but I still do it. <laughs> right. Or to give yourself a little bit reward. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's a little temporary distraction. That's what it is for me. It's like a little distraction. But then when it's done, I'm like, well, that's so silly because I still got to put the laundry away, but now I'm going to put it away with a banana and some chocolate in my belly. <laughs> Are there things in the world that you would never eat because you just don't consider them worthy or helpful to your body? Or are there things regarding food that you would never do, like a certain way of eating or a preparation or a type of food? That's so funny. No, I'm pretty like game with all food. Um, I would say if there's anything I would just never eat, for me, it's more like I wouldn't eat something that's say like super crazy processed and it's not because it's so unhealthy. It's because it doesn't taste good to me. So like I wouldn't want to eat say like a tasty cake, you know, or like a devil dog. <laughs> right. Like, it just doesn't taste good to me. It right. tastes like, doesn't taste like a yummy food, but give me the same equivalency homemade that somebody has made from scratch and I'm happy to have some. Right. Right. So do, do you think that as people find a way of, feeding themselves, you know, your way, for example, and your instructional ideas and resources that they will get so used to and happy with real food that's prepared by them, that's simple and easy, that that natural real taste is going to overshadow and overpower the fake stuff. Yes. And I think that that's like twofold. Like I think one, that when you're very accustomed to eating highly processed foods, that you almost do have to baby step your way out of it so that you can really appreciate the the natural subtlety, deliciousness of real whole foods, right? So for instance, if you're used to, to having a lot of fake sweeteners or highly processed sugars, and then someone offers you, you know, an apple, it, you're, of course, it doesn't taste good, because it's like your, it's like your taste buds have been obliterated, right? It's they're, they're always being bombarded with an, an excess of sugar and salt that when you have natural food, it's almost like you literally can't taste it. So I think you have to kind of back your way out of that. So I know that a big part of what you do, and what you teach and what you offer is about planning 
shopping and prepping, which is my biggest challenge that I continually deal with. And you've been really helpful to me, whether you know it or not, mm-hmm. with your site and your videos. How you. do you do it? How do you feel good about it? You know what I mean? How do you get uh-huh. yourself to do it in a way where you're not forcing? I know that you love the whole arena of food, but do you ever not feel like doing it? Sometimes I do not feel like doing it, but I will say for the most part, I really enjoy doing it because, because I've been on both sides. I, I know the benefit of it, right? So I know how easy it makes my week. I know how much better, how much better I feel when I have it there. I'm like one of those people, like I love when the fridge is all set up and ready to go. I always joke that my refrigerator is so much better than my closet. <laughs> um, I just love, I love the ease of it and it makes, it gives me peace of mind to know that it's there, it's done and I don't have to think about it for the rest of the week. But with that being said, there are weeks when I don't want to do it and, and I, we, there are weeks when I skip it. And then, but what I do during those weeks is I have like a small arsenal of things that I fall back on that are very convenient and very easy. And I have certain things in my pantry and certain things in my freezer that I know I can pull quick meals together. So for instance, a meal that I'll make that we all eat and my kids love too. And it takes us, I'm not kidding, four minutes to make is I just take frozen brown rice from the freezer that I buy pre-frozen, ready to go, heat it up in the microwave, And then I take a little bit of baby spinach that's in the fridge, which you could skip if you didn't have it, but I usually have it. Chop it up in the bottom of a bowl. And then I dump the rice on it with a can of black beans. I don't even heat the black beans because the rice heats the black beans and the spinach. I mix that all together with a little salt, pepper, garlic powder, and coconut oil. It takes literally four minutes and lunch or dinner is ready to go. And it's easy. It's cheap. It's convenient. I mean, if you had an avocado, you can throw that in the mix, but it's meals like that. So when I don't want to meal prep, I know, Hey, Hey, you know what? I I'll make omelets or, Hey, I know we have, you know, our favorite toast with almond butter or very simple meals that you can fall back on. So you never have the thought of I'm sick of doing this, or this takes too much time or I'm not in the mood because this is what I hear a lot from Mm -hmm. the people that I'm working with. It's they view it as something that's hard and that's something that's burdensome that they would love to eat delicious, healthy, clean food, but they don't want to be the ones to do it. And since there is no one in their life to do it, you know, that's that that just doesn't happen. So have you ever worked with people or have you ever experienced having those thoughts and getting around them? Yes. You know, I think that sometimes, of course, I don't feel like doing it. There are those times. But I think that for me, it's I, I know how much better it is when it's there, right? And But I think with clients and people who have an aversion to doing it, it's almost like they have to have the space to come to it on their own, meaning, you know, okay, if you don't want to do it, and I do like using the term um, instead of saying, I don't want to do it, you just kind of sub in, I choose not to make it a priority right now right? Because it's more, it's just more truth. You're just speaking the truth to yourself. And I think when we speak the truth, it just creates a little more space for us to see, oh, interesting. It's not that it's so hard or it's not so much that, you know, I can't do it. It's that I choosing not to make this a priority because maybe if it's something that if I think here's the thing, when you're brand new to it, there is a learning curve, right? So it is going to take you a little bit more time. Like for me, it's a habit. It is such a habit. I don't, it's just, 
a, it's just something I do. I know what I'm going to buy. I know. So it's much quicker and easier. But for anybody who's brand new to it, there is a little bit of a learning curve. But I think if the person going into that knows that this is a part of the process, and if I can just commit two or three or four weeks to get a little bit of a pattern going, a little bit of a habit going, um, that with that will come ease and it will also take a little less time. It'll become a little more effortless and that it becomes a little easier from that space. But I do think it's kind of speaking the truth, right? So not making it about what it's not about. It's just, I'm choosing not to make this a priority because then you can say, well, okay, then what's the alternative to helping you get to your goals? Right. And, and I think it's also realizing that whether you have a family or not, it's still also feeding yourself. And when oh, you yeah. say, hey, I don't have time for that, it's like you're turning your back on yourself and your needs. It's like saying, mm -hmm. I don't have time for me. Mm -hmm. Right. right. And, and that should be a wake up call for everyone, because if we don't have time to do the bare basic things that we need to get through life and feel good, then something's wrong with that picture that you might want to work on and think about. Right. It's like, would you say, uh, Ma, I don't feel like brushing my teeth tonight? Or, you know, it's like, I don't always feel like brushing my teeth, but I know that I want to take care of my teeth. And I think it's the same for your body, right? It's, it's a, something that you do. It's, it's really just another habit of self-care. Yes. And that, that example with the teeth uh, reminds me that, you know, growing up myself and my kids, most kids go through a period when they don't feel like doing that. And mm -hmm. we simply take them by the hand and do what you just did, just explain that they need to do it, whether they feel like it or not. And I think sometimes we need to do that for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I know exactly what you mean. And I agree. It's kind of, again, especially at the beginning, right? Because it is something that for many people is brand new and something that might, I can see how it would feel very overwhelming at the beginning, which is why I also think it's very helpful for people to, it, to think ahead and to say, okay, what I like to do for myself and when I'm, you know, giving recommendations to someone is just to think of each meal and make it simple for yourself to so say, okay, here's two breakfast options that I know will I, I will enjoy and I can do like a piece of sprouted green toast with almond butter and bananas, right? Like super right. easy. Simple, can be done. not even cooking. Right, right. It's barely cooking. Or um, I'm going to make some protein pancakes on the weekend and, and they're going to be in the freezer. So I have two breakfast options that are ready to go. And that's it. Boom. Now drop it out of your mind. Like I think sometimes people think we need, you know, especially we watch like videos or read magazines. I'm like, oh, we need to have, you know, my chia pudding on Monday and my overnight oats on Tuesday. <laughs> and, you know, it's like that does get overwhelming. So it's like you have to really start simple, really, really start simple and then create the habit. And then once you have the habit, you start to play with it a little bit more. So if you start with breakfast, for example, then you know you're feeding yourself well, at least in the beginning of the day, do it for a few days or a couple of weeks and then add in maybe some thoughts about a few simple lunches, right? Absolutely. I would actually, if you are brand new to it, I would say instead of trying to meal prep like the whole week and every meal, pick one meal and create the habit of thinking ahead, of having what you need in the house, and when the mealtime comes, making it for yourself. So that two weeks into it, you're like, okay, breakfast is down. I've got this, right? Like, let me start thinking about lunches. And then you continue on, right? And this way it doesn't feel so overwhelming and it doesn't feel so big and you give yourself permission to kind of grow into it. Now you're a pro, so you have a lot of this in your head, but you also have all the videos to refer to. 
Do you keep a list, mental or physical, of meals that your family likes or that are easy that you sit down on a Saturday or Sunday and pull from that to know what you're going to do for the week? I do. I, well, I always go, I always have a list for when it's before I go to the grocery store. So I'll just say, okay, these are the breakfasts that we'll have on hand. These are the lunches. And I'll do, a, I do repeat things during the week, especially with break, breakfast and lunch. And then I'll choose a few dinners and then that's it. And then I have my list when I go to the grocery store. But when I do my refrigerator, like when I do my meal prep, I do think in terms of, um, I'll say I'm going to do a couple of, have a couple of proteins cooked and ready to go. We do our vegetables. Um, then I'll do some type of whole grain, uh, like a big bucket of brown rice or quinoa or something. And so I know it's like I have all of those components in there. And so it's a lot of pull and assemble. And I want to recommend if you struggle at all with thinking about what you're going to cook or figuring out how to take this apart and plan and make it happen. I think Danny's videos of doing that where she literally shows you the inside of her fridge, what she bought from different stores and what to look for in particular from different stores and literally the food prep that we're talking about of how she does it. And it's very impressively simple. I love that, Danny. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Thank so you. A lot of my listeners and clients are working moms and dads or, you know, their parents stay at home, their students. And I like the idea of the phrase that you used before, barely cooking. Mm -hmm. Not to take away from the fact that you're a really good cook. Several years ago, I was going through an illness and Danny sent me some cookies that I will never forget because they were really, really uniquely good and they were gluten-free and dairy-free. And I think the recipe is a secret. But no, it's on my website. They were, is it on your website? What are mm -hmm. they called? I'll share the link. I think they're called gluten-free chocolate chunk cookies. They were so incredible and they were a real treat to help me get through that Aww. little bit of a challenging time. So I, I will mm. always remember that, Danny. Oh, I'm so glad. Do you ever feel like you, it's probably not likely, but what do you advise people if it doesn't happen to you who get off track with taking care of the food part of their life, how to get back on track? My favorite sentence, and I use this all the time, is, and that's okay. And that's okay, right? Because so often we do something that's not on target or not aligned with our goals or not what we wanted to do or not what we were planning to do. And then boom, we trigger the negative mental cycle, right? That then keeps us further away. So I always, very first thing is create the space, right? And that's okay. That's okay. Of course I didn't do that this week. Okay. And now what, what, what do I want to do this week? My favorite exercise to do in the morning is what would make today an amazing day, right? Especially that exercise helps me when I'm feeling overwhelmed or I'm feeling behind or I'm feeling, it just helps me take my focus and think, what are the few things that I can do today that by the time I put my head on the pillow tonight, I will be, I will feel good, right? It just kind of eliminates a lot of the drama. And it's usually very simple things like go out and get some type of activity, you know, go prep, prep my lunch or, you know, make something that is aligned with how I want to be eating. And it's usually one or two things for my work, right? But it's very simple. It kind of helps eliminate some of the mental drama and um, get us back on track. So I would say if you're off track, very first thing you do is forgive yourself for being off track. 
it's okay. We're not supposed to stay on track all the time. And then just realign with how do I want it to look today? How do I want it to look this week? So no beating, no yelling at yourself, just move on and accept that this is something that everybody goes through. Absolutely. And I feel like when we accept that it's something we go through and that it's part of how it's supposed to be, then we just get right back to it, right? You just get right back to it. And I like the key, one of the keys of what you just said, which is tiny, get back on track in little ways. You're regrouping, you're just picking two or three important things that will make a difference in how you feel and what's going on for you, as opposed to the giant whole to-do list and prepping 21 meals for the coming week to just take one little next step and right. Keep looking forward. Yeah. I think I know for me when I was really in the throes of kind of figuring out my weight loss journey and stuff, when I really started to grasp that it was really the little things that helped me so much because I felt like I could find little things that would make me feel good and how from that place of feeling good, it, the practice just grew and grew and grew rather than creating a to-do list this long or creating goals that are like very overwhelming and then always feeling like I'm failing or I'm not succeeding at it. Right. So I like the idea of, you know, set the bar low, set the bar low so that you achieve and then you create the habit of feeling good and then doing, adding a little more and adding a little more. So the idea of just starting with a couple of ideas that you like and having the ingredients for a couple of breakfasts in the house is small enough for you to do without feeling overwhelmed, but it will give you such good feelings about what you're doing for yourself that it will then make it easier to think about a couple of lunches and to think about a couple of dinners. Are you a a freezer person? Do you cook ahead? I don't do a, I do not do a ton of that. I'm a freezer person. Like I have freezer staples, like I have frozen veggies I buy and frozen rice and like some flatbreads. Um, which aren't super clean, but they're delicious. Um, and there are, so I have my handful of freezer staples that I use and pull out in a pinch, but I don't do a lot of um, doing stuff ahead and then freezing it. Sometimes I like, um, if I make like a big soup, mm. I will freeze some of it, which depends on what veggies are in it, whether it works or not. But it's sometimes nice to have a fully cooked, warm something to pull out of the freezer as opposed to starting from scratch. Oh, I completely agree. One of my favorite little tricks, I call it kicking up a can of soup, right? So it's, you just take a can of your favorite soup. I'm a big fan of the Amy's lentil soup. And then what I would do is before I cook the soup, I'll just saute some garlic and onion. And then I'll put the soup in the pan. Add a few of my own seasonings is usually like a little garlic powder or red pepper flakes, big handful of spinach and boom, you just took something from your pantry, but then you added a little bit of fresh food to it, a little extra flavor, a little extra life, and it's still like a 10 minute meal. And that could literally be a dinner with a little salad. Oh, absolutely. It's like, so that's why I say starting with little things and like feeling good about them, liking them. And so that you start to build your arsenal and you have things that you feel confident that if I had no plan and nothing going on, I know that I could still make a decent choice that I will enjoy. That's right. You're not compromising. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you about the name of your company is cleananddelicious.com. And Danny's Mm going to tell you in a few minutes 
where to find all the different things that she's referenced today. We're going to give you links in the show notes. You could find her and see all these great things. But I'm curious about the word clean because a lot of my people use that word to beat themselves up when they feel like they're not eating something perfectly nutritious or something that has a certain number of carbs in it, or it has a certain amount of sugar in it. So when you talk about food being clean, delicious, we all know, what do you mean? What's your definition of clean? My definition of clean is eating real, whole, unprocessed foods as close to their natural state as possible most of the time. And I feel like that last part is important most of the time right? So, but making that the base of your diet, it was a lot easier for me, I should say. So I come from like a serious dieting background and it really helped me when I stopped focusing on calories and carbs and this and that. And I really started to focus on the quality of the food that really helped me because instead of thinking of like calories and how is this going to change my body? I started to think about quality and how it made me feel. And for me, that was just a big click. It made it, it made it so much easier to make decisions around food because it was like, oh, well, this bar has 220 calories or there's a banana and almonds. And, you know, and my old brain would be like, well, the banana and almonds might have an extra 20 calories. And it's like, just pick the one that's closest to its natural state. It just made it so not complicated for me. I love that shift because mm-hmm. you're right. It takes away the good versus the bad. And then mm-hmm. you being good or bad or going over your quota or over your limit, it totally takes that away. So most food that's not most of the time food that's not processed, but there are exceptions, aren't there? Like you mentioned Amy's soups and. Oh, absolutely. I think of it as like a staircase, right? So you think to yourself, okay, if you had, um, an apple, that would be amazing. That's the most unprocessed form of an apple, right? The next best thing would be maybe some applesauce, right? So it's just apples. Usually it's just apples, but they're slightly processed because they're mashed down, right? Okay. Then what do you have next? Maybe we have um, some, you know, um, an apple fruit bar, right? So now it's being more processed, right? So, but you're, but you're working your way down. And so I feel like that's with everything. It's like real whole foods. And then, I mean, technically oatmeal is processed, right? You, you can have, you can have oat groats, you could have steel cut oats, you could have rolled oats, you can have quick oats, right? They're all the same whole real oats, but some are just a little more processed than others. To me, getting crazy about that level doesn't really serve anybody. It's more how many other ingredients are being added in? How many of them are we recognizing? How close to this is this food to how it started? One of the easiest ways I find to think about it is we want our bodies to do most of the processing, not the factories, right? So you want a food, the more whole your food is, the more work your body has to do to break it down and extract what it needs from it. That's what we want, right? We don't want it being processed outside of our bodies. We want the processing to be done inside of our bodies. I love that. Great explanation. And it's so much better and kinder to ourselves than the way that we've all been trained to think about food and make food decisions. Yeah, I I think if we can really focus on the foods that make us feel good, you know, it helps. And for me, quality is a big part of that equation. Like the better the quality of the food, the better I find it feels. Right. And not to forget the most of the time part of it, there is no perfect, right? Nobody eats lean and clean and healthy or however you want to describe it all of the time. We all sometimes 
just eat something because it tastes delicious. Absolutely. But we balance it. We balance it. So before I wrap up for the day, Danny, would you share with everybody how to find you? And you? I know you have a little gift for our listeners and how to get that. And we're going to put everything in the show notes for you all. But how can people find you? Well, if you go to uh, our website, it's cleananddelicious.com. Um, there is uh, an opt-in, which is my go-to guide for making smoothies so that you never actually need to follow a recipe. So that they're going to find on your website, which will be in the show notes, cleananddelicious.com. You can get your free smoothie guide. And I love that it's not a recipe because you're teaching people how to think for themselves following a basic, simple template, but adding in their own decision-making ability and their own taste and their own likes and dislikes. And that's really what we've been talking about today is how do you make good food work for you? Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Tell us about the videos. So we produce new videos. They go up every Monday and Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And to get the vi to see those videos as soon as they come up, the best bet is to go right to our YouTube channel, which is um, youtube.com backslash Danny Spees. So you can find that YouTube channel for looking for Clean and Delicious or Danny Spees. It comes up either way. Um, but that's how you get the videos first. And we're always posting two to three videos each every each week. That's a lot. That's mm -hmm. a lot. And I know you have a lot of recipes indexed in an interesting way, right on cleananddelicious.com, right? Oh, yeah, that's very, they're really easy to search. So you can look up the category that you're looking for, and then find uh, all of the resources we have. Right. And it's not just, you know, dinners and breakfasts and side dishes, but Danny has it categorized according to how you want to eat. So if mm -hmm. you need to eat gluten-free, there's a whole section for that. If you're eating low-fat or non-dairy or paleo, whatever it is you're eating, she has that covered. I love that. Awesome. So thank you. We have your videos, your recipes, your free smoothie guide, and your very, very chock-full, beautiful website. So thank you so much, Danny. This was truly fun and a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much. I had so much fun chatting with you. Now that's it for this subject in our coaching session today, in this interview session today. I want you to think this coming week about how you might take some of Danny's ideas about feeding yourself and take the tiniest little one and decide and do what it takes to put it into action. And I'd love to hear from you and I will forward questions to Danny, or you could write to her directly. So we know how you're doing and what you find challenging and what's working for you. I hope to see you back here next week where we will continue to work on the emotional eating and your binge eating step by step until they both become something that you used to do. And I will see you next week. <music>